It's four in the fucking morning! It's Saturday! No, it's not. It's fucking Sunday. And I've got to go to fucking work in four fucking hours because every other fucker in my fucking department is fucking ill! Now, can you see why I'm so fucking angry?! No. I've got a splitting headache and your stupid hip-hop isn't helping. And the front door is open again! Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. But not yet. We've got a third leg. And this third leg is special, right, Gabe? Because we have kind of what we should have had at the beginning of the whole tour yes hopefully extra large shirts <laughs> no extra heavy vinyl mm, double vinyl Finally got, here comes the zoo vinyl isn't that in our hands this moment but it will be by the time this, this maybe not the time this airs but the time you leave for tour but will it we're, we're counting on it but will it Maybe something else will go wrong. Who knows? No, the, the powers that be have said the band exclusive variant, whichever one that is, <laughs> will be in hand day one of the third leg of the tour. It's the, the one, it's the variant that affects kids, right? <laughs> the band exclusive variant, the one you yes. can catch by seeing the band up close, you'll catch it. Right. The variant. Yes. For the people that ordered it already and they're waiting for the multicolored vinyl, be patient. It's coming, but the band exclusive, it's coming quicker. Oh, we probably shouldn't even be selling the band exclusive on the website yet. Why not? Because, all right, I'm going to take them all and bring, bring them with me on the road to the East Coast and to Canada. <laughs> We're going to Canada. How are you going to get the merchant to Canada? That, isn't I'm not that illegal? Get the merchant. I'm not fucking with the Canadian Mounties. Get <laughs> vinyl into Canada. That's you don't not... remember? You don't remember way back in the day all the trouble we had? I mean, I remember. There was a yeah. time when you were sleeping in the back of the van and Joe was driving, uh-huh. and and they, he gave him some lip somehow, and they he the sure dude he said the dude said you guys get out of the van. Get out of the van, right? And, All we had to do was keep our mouths shut, and it would be fine. <laughs> no, 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 not gonna happen. And we had to sit in there for an extra hour or two because they oh, yeah. didn't like they didn't like what we were saying. I don't remember no. what we were. It was a nightmare. But it was a nightmare. To, to bring merch into Canada is a pain in the neck. To put it lightly, somehow there's got to be a way. Yes, there is. Be Canadian. <laughs> I got people asking me, are you going to, are you going to have merch in Canada? I'm like, uh, hopefully, but maybe not. I don't know. Probably not, but we'll be there Canada and we can't wait to see you. Toronto and Montreal. 
That's right. I just made two, that up. Two very good towns. Gabe, who do we have on the special show today? Why is it special? I don't know. Post-election show? I guess we're still in it. That Everything hasn't been counted yet. But yeah, uh, it's certainly gone better than we thought it was going to go back. Certainly gone better than we thought it was going to be last week. Yes, yeah, but and I, we didn't have that much time. We didn't have that much time to relax because the next election is officially kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> right. right. I don't think two years is not enough. Let them let them go for four years. It's two every two years sucks. What are you talking about? The whole House of Representatives is up every two years. It's just the way you do. You, 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 what are you saying? You want to change the way that we do business here? In the U.S., yes. think you're better than the forefathers, Gabe. You're not. Those are nothing but old white men that didn't want to pay their taxes. That's true. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have TikTok. <laughs> what? They don't know what it's. They don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like to be embarrassed. So, Gabe, have you watched Terrifier yet? No, but I've seen pictures. Uh, you know, when you become friends with somebody on Facebook and then you, you look at their pictures, all of a sudden they show up more in your feed. And I got this scary, scary, scary clown in my feed all the time now. And I don't know how to get rid of it. I'm not talking about Steve Barton. I'm talking about the clown. Art the clown. He's a little... He's crazy. Are you friends Steve with Barton. Art the clown on, on Facebook? No, no, but... He's, he's calling for some Steve reason, Barton. The, the clown has just showed up on my feed somehow. He's because well, it's 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 available digitally now. So now it's everywhere. It's getting into the bloodstream. Justine's dad is a huge fan of the movie. He calls <laughs> me, wants to talk about it. He talked to me for two hours about it the other day. About he's like, wow, yeah, it's something else. It's rough. Oh, shit. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's the target audience. He loves it. He can't okay. he can't get enough of it. He's truly disturbed. He's like. Did you see the end? Man, what was going on? <laughs> he really That's liked right. when, when the little girl stuck the clown head up her duchy. <laughs> yeah. So on this episode, before we start talking about last episode, who do we have on today's episode, Gabe? Come on. Mike Willison. Mike Willison. Of the fig dish fame, prairie cartel, caviar, etc. Yeah, merit bra- merit badge, merit badge. And is a he's a Somali pirate. Labrador twins. He's a Somali pirate, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> His nose always knows. I've seen Mike Willison do some amazing things with his nose. Some You're talking about incredible things with his nose. The, the, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> I almost said the word that I never said my whole life out loud. What? What? Who, who says booger sugar nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? You're talking about his nose. <laughs> booger sugar. <laughs> I'm talking about wine, of course. He's yes. uh, he he lives in he's been living in what he's been living in Portland for what twelve. 12 years at least now, maybe even longer. He's, uh, he's very respected, very respected in his field, uh, the whole wine scene in Portland. 
Uh, they worked at Patton Valley, A to Z. Uh, you know, he works up there with uh, Kevin Martin from Candlebox. <laughs> it's the singer of Candlebox. I've just been notified by a friend of mine via text. It may or may not be Mike Willison. <laughs> I wonder what Kevin Martin is doing now. Is Candlebox still an, uh, uh, an yeah, operating Candlebox band? still playing. Yep. Oh, yeah. He's a very nice guy. They had a big couple hits for a long time. What, were, a big what fan. were those hits? Madonna was a big fan. Who? Madonna. Madonna. Madonna signed Candlebox. What's that label? Maverick. It's true. It looks like you don't believe me. Gabe, we got to get you a light or something. I mean, I, 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 it's I, just, you, you run around in darkness. I don't know. I, I you don't talk. Little, you don't talk I've for talked. long stretches. Listen, I heard a little story today or the other day uh, about industry plants. You know, when you said Madonna signed Candlebox, I mean, if they weren't signed by Madonna, would they have been who they were? But when I talk about industry plants, I just found out that Taylor Swift's dad bought a ton of stock in her label before she got signed. Which basically made her owner, family member, whatever, of the label. You know what I'm saying? He, no. no. Yes, the, she was like an industry plant, people have said, because her parents bought her way in your parents so, bought her way into them into the record industry yes because they bought out a bunch of stock and well, when label? you say her across it the board it. appeal has borne out that they were investing in their daughter and it was a really good investment it's possible but if her parents weren't who I mean, they hold were, on hold on yes. like any child actor or anything like that there's a lot of money that the parents invest and, you know, getting them headshots, taking them to classes, bringing them to auditions, the gas that it takes, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're always investing in these kids, right? So are yeah. you saying that that's different? Are you saying that, that Taylor Swift's dad broke some trust issues? I wouldn't say trust, but just because you brought up Madonna was the head of the label for Maverick and then they signed Candlebox. I don't know. Madonna just... was Candlebox's mom? And, and she bought <laughs> Candlebox's way into the industry. So is that any different than someone signing us? Where would we be without Joe Basso signing us? Yeah, you, Joe yeah. Basso is our Madonna. Or are you saying that it's wrong because it's Madonna? I don't know. I'm saying that there were... Joe Basso's not your dad is what Gabe's saying. I was led to believe that she had a, an acoustic guitar and she went to Nashville on her own and Madonna. played out... No. Taylor Swift. Okay. And she played outside of the, you know, downtown Nashville, and then she got discovered. That's what Is I was that not to what believe. happened? That's not what happened? No. Her so dad well, bought half of the company. Well, where did her dad get all this money? I didn't know that Taylor Swift was from that kind of money. Let's research it and come back next week and, but, fig and figure also, this whole thing out. I think there's plenty of examples of, like, attempted nepotism in the music and the film industries, in the entertainment industry. And what if about you Miley Cyrus? Talent, if you don't have the talent to back it up, you don't get anywhere for the most part. I, I, I would go with that. I would go with that. Look at, uh, what's the guy that, that just 
kicked the bucket not too long ago. Look at Frank Stallone, for God's sake. Oh, <laughs> Frank Stallone. But Sly tried. No, it was the guy, uh, Aaron Carter. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's nepotism that didn't end that well, right? He had a successful career. He was a teenage heartthrob for years. A heartthrob? Heart, whatever. He was on Tiger Beat and all those magazines. How many issues of that do you have? None. But I'm you just saying. Back issues. But he, he, uh, he went down the wrong path for sure. <laughs> was he not on the cover of your Good and Plenty zine? Listen, I, I, I've heard Aaron's party. And uh, that was huge? I, I don't think so. I mean, did Aaron Carter have a huge song? Musically, were people like fucking losing their mind for Aaron Carter songs? And I don't know the answer to this. I'm, I'm sincerely asking. There's people out there that have his record or CD or whatever. I have, I have the Aaron's party CD because I thought it was hilarious. Ooh. I used to like to play it, but uh, I would never say it's good. I've never heard it. as good as Nightmare on My Block. Mm. The point is... Please, tell me the point. I just... I, I have a different view of Taylor Swift because she wasn't the girl that uh, we thought she was. I, so I just, you will not be attending her concerts. I can't afford them. <laughs> You're saying you no longer like whatever Taylor Swift songs you may have previously liked because now you found out her dad. Her songs are always going to be the same. They're catchy and they're poppy and they're Okay, so what do you whatever. have to worry about anything else for? No, it, I, I'm blown away that I never knew that I still don't think you... Okay, we'll research Gabe this is, next week. The punk cred that he thought that Taylor <laughs> Swift had... Yeah, punk like, thread. I would yeah, say punk the, thread. The scales have fallen from Gabe's eyes about no, who he her thought trans, Taylor Her transformation Swift. of that country twang accent between records 10 years ago threw me... You know, that, that turned me into a, a non-believer anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe she's like David Bowie or Madonna. She's constantly changing. No. Because Madonna's gay now? A lesbian? Oh, is that what she's saying? She's basically trying to come out at, at 65 years old. I am so impressed that Gabe knows all this stuff. Didn't you hear? No, I didn't. You know why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one playing Madonna covers. You're interested. When she You're fascinated. I got, I got some information. When she was 13, Swift's parents sold their farm in Pennsylvania to move to Hendersonville, Tennessee, so that she could devote more of her time to courting country labels in nearby Nashville. Wow. Yes, so she had her, a very supportive <clears throat> family. That sounds yeah, and wonderful her dad to me. took that money and spent it on big machine records. That's and not put, what this says. It's in there. It's the in there. The development deal with RCA Records allowed Swift to make the acquaintance of recording industry veterans. And in 2004, at age 14, she signed with Sony ATV as a songwriter. At venues in the Nashville area, she performed many of the songs she had written. And it was at one such performance that she was noticed by record executive Scott Borchetta, who is being played by Jared Leto in a new movie. Borchetta. I'm a Scott the Borchetta. <laughs> Hey, Pastor Borchetta, please. Oh, uh, poor, poor. Uh, 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 Borchetta signed Swift to his fledgling big machine label and her first single, Tim McGraw. 
Wait, her was first it? single was called Tim McGraw? Yeah, inspired Wait. by and prominently referencing a song by Swift's favorite country artist. Ooh. Who would she have had- the nerve to write a song and name it one of the biggest stars of the genre? Who, who would do something like that? A stone-cold asshole. So, <laughs> really great question. So is this the label that her dad bought a bunch of shares in because he saw the writing on the wall? Look it up. Let's look it up. Find out if her dad bought Did Taylor a, a, a share Swift or an invested dad into invest Big Machine Records. In Big Machine. Before. Gabe smells a rat. I think there's a rat. I think she there's. She was signed. Find out, Ben. Get to the bottom of this. Not long after moving to Music City, Swift was signed to Big Machine Records. According to BuzzFeed, Swift's father, excuse me, Swift's father then sprung into action. He bought a 3% stake in the company for $300,000 while she was at work $300,000. There's a word for that. It's called payola. No, dude, but you you got the order (laughs) wrong. She got signed to Big Machine and then he invested in the label because he was like, it's going to be huge because my daughter's going to be big. My daughter's yeah. the shit. Yeah, he yes, and, and she's going to get to the front of the line. What? No. Oh, oh, he's saying that goodness. he's got a He didn't buy a controlling share, did he? Three percent. He put in three hundred thousand dollars. Push that's my not, daughter's record, or share. or I'm pulling my money out. Oh yeah, you, yeah, that's what you think was going on. <laughs> listen. No, all right. Here's what I've noticed. Gabe has listen, and Ben has excuse <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. I know. Yeah. Go on. I'm listening. You said listen. Hello. Uh, well, then I, so that's true me. that her, her dad put a piece of the pie in Big Machine. Oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Oh, there this is. This one is saying that her else. father was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch, and he moved his work to Tennessee. So that is quite a difference from farmer, farm. my friend. I know. I don't. I, maybe they had a farm, but he wasn't actually an active farmer. Maybe he bought a. Maybe he foreclosed on a farm at Merrill Lynch. Is that what they do at Merrill Lynch? Yeah, but I'm not seeing any implication in any of this stuff about her dad's buying three percent doing anything for. for you think it didn't had kid? nothing to do with the how much? Gets the, gets the money was the guy that plays guitar. Who's that? You know, that dude, that body's a Wonderland guy. John Mayer? Oh. Yeah, get to the John Mayer bit. He's, he became what a member t- of Dead and Company and uh, made that band even worse than it was otherwise. Thank you. Wait, did he have a thing with Taylor Swift or am I mixing that up with somebody else? No, he else? did. He did. Oh, he did. Did he? I think so. I think he was yeah, one he, of He's been with everybody. He's the Scott Bayo of 2000s. <laughs> Scott Bale, nice. <laughs> no, I meant to say uh, Jake, Jake, uh, what's his face? Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, right. But this Scooter Braun. the Jake Gyllenhaal part. Scooter what, Braun is the guy who bought Big Machine along with Taylor Swift's back catalog. She hates the guy and recorded all her albums again so that he wouldn't make any money off of that. Ooh, that's pretty but, punk rock, Gabe. But by the way, so her dad invested, what did they say, $300,000 in Big Machine? When Scooter Braun bought it, it cost him $300 million. Ooh. That's So crazy. you're saying T- Taylor's dad made a lot of money. Now, is there any bad blood yet between Taylor and Taylor's dad? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. 
I don't even want to go down this road. <laughs> what are you? You're the one who put us there, Dorothy. <laughs> I don't even want to go down this road. I didn't bring up Taylor Swift again. You were talking about Maverick Records, Madonna signing Candlebox. That's what you were doing. Clearly, that would lead to Taylor Swift. Did you say Manfred Wait, Records? Maverick. Oh, Maverick. Okay. Manfred Man. Get the marbles out of your mouth in Florida. Maverick. <laughs> Manfred Man and his Maverick Earth Band. Speaking of Madonna, I saw a clip of you uh, opening for Andy Gerber's band, and you busted out some Madonna. That's right. How'd, how'd that come to be? It's an old trick. Been doing it since the 90s. Oh, yeah? Have you been playing Express Yourself since the 90s? Every once in a while. I only, I only break it out in, for special occasions. And that's why Gabe's got it in for me. <laughs> hey, Madonna fan. <laughs> You're the big Maverick fan. Not me. Yes. I didn't know she was gay. Otherwise, clearly, I wouldn't have played it. I don't know. It's just when she makes news... Today, it's like, who, who's really following? Who's really following? The last time I saw her do anything was when she got on her phone at a screening of 12 Years a Slave and started talking loudly through a movie about slavery. I thought that was sensitive. And then she hissed back, it's for work. <laughs> I was like, right on, Madonna. No problems there. Something else that happened last week. Oh. Sebastian Maniscalco's uh, catchphrase. Aren't you embarrassed? That's it. That's what I was trying to think of. He does have a catchphrase, and it's aren't you embarrassed. He doesn't have that catchphrase. He probably That's has a different... his fucking catchphrase. He, let me, let, 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 let's set the record straight. I'm not the biggest... I don't follow him religiously, but he's had oh, at I least... Heard probably 10 comedy specials and he probably has a He's different catchphrase for each one of those things so it just came up i don't understand why you just brought it up last week out of the blue well i didn't bring it up out of the blue but the way you edited the podcast it seemed like i it came up out of the blue we were talking about sarah silverman and the fact that gabe thinks she's funny and you think she's funny and i had just seen sebastian maniscalco do something the night before and i said oh speaking of people who are funny or not funny do you guys like okay. sebastian maniscalco that's so, how it came up all right it's not out of the blue but it was it's out of semi out of the blue uh, but, but it came a, out of the sarah silverman it's out of the blue and maybe there's a few serious clouds there but they weren't cumulus clouds <laughs> right it wasn't a overcast day but like we, I, hold on but sorry. also the other thing i said was that he's a chicago suburbs guy did you did you follow up on that and see prospect right heights yeah, there you go. So now I like him. Gabe, oh, okay. what were you going to say? Ben, are you trying to say that Sarah Silverman's not funny? No. Okay. I love Sarah Silverman. All right, you were saying you and Scott think she's funny. <laughs> we do think she's funny. Well, I'm just saying that was the conversation that was being oh, had. You think you she's actually, funny? You, oh, yeah. Gabe, I think you said the words. She's funny. Like, I don't remember that thing, but I don't like that pussy bit, but she is funny. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, well, I don't know what I said, but I didn't say that. So are you just afraid to say the word pussy? 
not afraid. It's just, just one of the words right that doesn't. <laughs> one of the words. There's two words that have rarely come out of my mouth in my life. Maybe three. What, what was the one that you didn't say earlier tonight? I don't remember. How do I? How do I know if I don't say? You it? said. Remember, you said, "Oh, I almost said something that oh, I." Oh, booger say. sugar. Oh, the booger oh, sugar. Booger sugar. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's got no reason. He's got no right to say that. So we can edit that out. <laughs> uh, but you can't. Pussy and what's what's the other word? What's the word you can't say? There's got to be a word you can't say. Well, there's a lot of words I can't say, and I'm not going to say them. <laughs> Are there? Can a I lot say of words you can't say? Oh, come on! The list grows longer every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I say beaner? Ooh, you can. I can't. <laughs> I mean, I there's said... words that both of you guys can say that I can't touch with the ten foot pole. <laughs> yeah. But I think. Pussy is not one of them, Gabe. So it doesn't flow off my tongue very easily. <laughs> it, it's not. The, <laughs> That's getting cut. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but, but just for me, just say pussy. I think this is going to be a bit. This might be a bit. <laughs> just say pussy, and then we'll move on. I, I'm envisioning people coming up to me. Out of the blue and saying, Gabe, will you please say this word? And I'll have to live with this for the rest of my life because of you. What's, a word, What's a word for a young cat? Listen. <laughs> I will say pussy willow. Ah, How's that? How's that? Holy Finally God. got something good out of this guy. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, man. Good night, everybody. You know what's funny is we can cut the uh, willow out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, and this and this part, Ben, can go in. You can put this in. The funny thing about this, Ben, is he said pussy willow, but you are really good at cutting stuff. So we can cut the willow out and we can get it. Gabe saying pussy. So let's do this. Gabe, come on. Just once. Just once for me. Say pussy. It's going to be great. We got you, Gabe. We could sprinkle it all over the mic <laughs> section of this. Um, <laughs> Every time Gabe says something, he's like, so anyway, with this. Pussy. <laughs> so Taylor Swift's dad is a pussy. And he was talking to this pussy. <laughs> You're in trouble now. Hey, everybody. It's Mike Willison. Hello, Hello. Mike. Hey, how's it going, Scott? Hi, Gabe. Hey there. Do I do I say hi to Ben? Sure, you say hi to Ben. Hey, Ben. Seems like Gabe's acting like he doesn't know you. No, uh, it's I'm, probably, I'm, I, I probably know the him. glasses. Hey there. No. Uh, hi, my name's Gabe. <laughs> I haven't how's... seen you in ten years, but I know you. Yeah, that that checks out. Ten, something like that. When was Five. the uh, the the fig dish? Semi reunion, you were at that, weren't you, Gabe? It was the Hate Killer record release. So that was less than ten years ago. Seven. A significant number of years. That's right. A lot of years. That's right. How's Portland going, Mike? It's cold, man. Uh, I know really? it's it's yeah it's it's cold in Chicago from what I from what I can see. It's it maybe kind of a miserable day today. Yeah. It was a beautiful fall day here. If you looked out your window, 
But when you stepped outside, it was uh, very, very windy and very cold. But uh, it was a happy day for me. Okay. Oh, yeah. Why? Uh, well, it just looked so nice. It was hard not to be happy, Scott. Okay. Right. I it, thought something It looked happened. so nice out. I just said, <laughs> I'm going to be happy. I thought you had an announcement that you made or something, and, and you were happy about that. Mm, or no. somebody else made an announcement that made you happy. No, no, no. Can I put a puzzle piece together in my brain right now? Oh, yeah. Here he goes. Here it comes. Is, were you at Mike's house back in the day when you got the vid? On that tour, <laughs> the last two times I've been at Mike's house, I've been sick. What is up? It's what I do. It is my gift. Yeah. Actually, the the second to last time you gave me COVID, so that was your gift. That's right. And this last time, I ruined your voice. How did you do that? I I don't I, think it was your fault. Oh, I mean, good. Full disclosure, I was sick. Oh, but it right. happened. I was sick both times in Portland at your house. So lead paint. Is that lead what's going on over there? I'm no, pretty sure so. they don't allow you to do that over there. Yeah, we, we don't do that. And you're coming to Chicago tomorrow. Yeah. One night only. Um, I want to tell people what you're doing here tomorrow. I mean, this is just, this is so Mike Willison and Blake Smith. It is. Uh, I'm coming in to see the uh, Suede and Manic Street Preacher Show at the Auditorium Theater. Now, who headlines that? Suede? Tomorrow night, it'll be Suede, yes. I went and saw them uh, last Saturday in Seattle, and it was the other way around. So I figured, what a great excuse to come home at the end or middle of November, whatever it is, uh, <laughs> for one night only. <laughs> right. Are you talking about Suede or the London Suede? Oh, right. Thank you. Excuse me. We are in the United States. The London Suede. There's that two Swedes. The, that's the same band, right? Yeah, it's it's the Bush X of uh, the era. Remember how Bush had to be called Bush X in the UK? No, I remember that. Yeah, I wish I didn't know that. So in the US, Suede has to be called London Suede. Yeah, like there's another Charlatans. There's a famous. Wasn't there like a famous ska band that had to change the <laughs> United States? Yeah, ska na na. <laughs> What what is Suede's big hit? I don't remember. It's up to you, Metal really. Metal Mickey, Animal Nitrates. I mean, you can. The list goes on. Big hit is a stretch, kid. <laughs> um. <laughs> I feel like they should have something I should recognize, and nothing's ringing a bell. I'll I'll find it. Charlatans to it. Charlatans UK. Yes. Had to do it. That's not a Suede song. No, I no. know. Thank you, though, Scott. Dinosaur Jr. had to do it. I, you know, I think with, in the case of Charlatans and Dinosaur, it makes the name better. Yeah. So, speaking of Blake Smith, we had him on the show before, but I don't really feel we got to the bottom of Fig Dish, and I don't even think Caviar came up, and I don't think Prairie Cartel came up. So, we're going to fix that tonight with you. Mike. Okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get right to this fig dish. Okay, yeah. So you yeah. guys all went to school together, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, shoot, I, we all went to the same junior high school together, and then went to the same high school together, separated by a year or a grade. But uh, yeah, the four of us were traveling in similar circles for many many years. So were you younger? Were you in the different grade? Yeah, uh, 
Rick and I uh, were a year younger than Andy and Blake. Okay. So who was hanging out with who? Well, so there was a there was a ringleader who you were familiar with um, named Kurt White, who uh-huh. has nothing to do with either band. Right. But Curdy was friends with um, just about everybody anywhere. And I was able to uh, sort of glom onto that friendship by being friends with his younger brother, Dave, who was also a year younger. Uh, so Blake ran in sort of a older kid's circle. And um, me and Rick ran in kind of a younger kid's circle. That all said, Rick's older brother was a legend, and I know you know Bob, but he was a legend around our high school, probably the best musician anyone had ever known. And uh, so he carried with him a, a good bit of musical baggage. And uh, Rick and Andy were both very much in the band slash musical band part of our high school, whereas Blake and I were not, uh, Mm -hmm. meaning Rick and Andy were really quite talented at their instruments, where Blake and I were a little bit more uh, avant-garde. Okay, sure. So, I mean, then how did, did all of you get together? I feel like it was a bit of an accident, if I'm honest. Um, Blake had been in a band with some of the um, some of the, the older kids. Uh, Rick had been in bands with some of the older kids. I, I definitely was not in a band with the older kids. Um, me and our, our mutual friend Jeff were in a band together. That was very swishy, as you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> lots of <laughs> lots of flop haired Cure covers and. Um, uh-huh. You know, I think if I remember right, at our senior breakfast, the morning we were all graduating, we played. We opened with Bella Lugosi's "Dead." Okay. So we were we were driving driving in, in that lane, right. uh, where Blake's uh, Blake was much more in the lane of the replacements. Rick was in a, in a very clever uh, clever world of pop, uh, with a lot of sort of game theory esque curly cues to it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> when we when we finally started thinking about getting together, if I'm honest, it was it was college where I think people were coming home and everyone was like, hey, what are you guys up to? And we sort of just started fooling around in Hamilton's basement with some, some songs that people had had. Um, and now that I really think about it, we started fooling around with in somebody else's basement, this, another drummer named Steve Campbell who I guess in theory was the original drummer from, uh, from fig dish. And he came up with the name, which is, you know, the most embarrassing story. I mean, I'm sure you know it, but Steve was a great, um, thief in a lot of ways. We won't go too deep into that, but he loved like lifting lyrics and then putting them into songs and being like, yeah, I totally wrote that. Uh, We were all fans of Husker Du at the time and thought it would be funny to um, Americanize um, a name in another language. And somebody somewhere had told Steve how to say fuck you in German. And so we Americanized that to Fig Dish. Fig Dish. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go any further, is it safe to say you guys weren't doing Iron Maiden covers? Uh, the band that I was in with Jeff, no, no, not so much. In and fact, Blake wasn't it, doing Iron Maiden covers. No, I think probably the only person with enough talent to play it was probably Rick. Okay. Um, he wasn't doing those. It's not as far as I know. No, he so wasn't. All a, of you, if you guys were going to pick a band, it would be the replacements, not Iron Maiden, right? 
I think you could probably, uh, yes, definitely point the uh, Ouija board in the direction of the letter R to get started. Okay, Probably so Gabe, we I. don't have to keep this fucking thing going any longer during this episode, okay? The tension Just has been released. Except defeat right now. <laughs> I didn't have any notion that it was going to be Iron Maiden any time in this podcast, though. So it was already given. I think, Gabe, to you know, to, to Scott's point, the, the, the main connection that I had with Maiden during, during those days was that I loved looking at the posters at the record stores in the mall, but I was I was afraid. <laughs> which was, I, th- I think, the point, right? I was, I was supposed to be afraid of Eddie, and I, and I was. It's like Gabe and Terrifier. <laughs> yes, I can't watch the clown. Mike can't watch Eddie. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I've, now I get it, but I didn't get it then. Right. Right. It seemed right. dangerous. <laughs> but if you were stuck on a desert island today, and you could only bring the replacements catalog or the Iron Maiden catalog. The, 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 it's over. Re- replacements one. I was I was I'm just bringing it chance. up just to, just so okay. we don't have to go Good. into this right. quagmire. Thank Excellent. Thank yeah, you. I mean, I'm gonna die. I may as well die, you know, reasonably happy with your boots on. Yeah, or my. I guess <laughs> if you were a replacements fan, you'd be wearing, I don't know, flip flops. I'm not sure what. I don't know sure what they wear. <laughs> I will say though, uh, in fairness. In fairness to my swishy ways, the first live concert I ever saw was Van Halen. Mm. And it wasn't like last last year. Um, I believe, <laughs> and Scott, you'll be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong. I believe it was 1983. That would have been sort of the end of the Diver Down tour, but they didn't call right. it that. They called it like Hide the Sheep or Hide Your right. Sheep or something like that. So it was, it was maybe March, April, or May. And I think if I remember right, it was at uic pavilion it was in that no man's land between diver down in 1984 my next concert of course was the cure so you know yeah well that's a pretty good one too yeah so how did fig dish get signed how did that happen uh <laughs> well it's a two-prong story uh the first prong is we worked good. really hard uh and somehow managed to get some labels attentions um it was i think a lot of right time right place but we had also been working like you had at the time, very hard on playing out live, building up our fan base, also getting better at our instruments. Uh, in my case, I needed to get a lot better. And then we finally started picking up some of these showcases uh, in New York and wherever else. And I, I think it must've been either 93 or 94, where I actually quit my job um, because I was like, hey, I think we're gonna get signed. And then we went out to New York mm-hmm. City for one of those one of those seminars just sucked, absolutely <laughs> sucked. And every A&R guy in the room was like, see ya. All right. So we went back to the drawing board a little bit. And that's when I think the, the story that people sort of know is where we started sending out uh, little little handwritten letters to just about every A&R person we could find with one of our a new demo tape in it and said, uh, hey, man, first time I heard this, I'm probably getting it a little bit wrong, but the sentiment is there. First time I heard this, I instantly thought about you. These guys are hot. Thanks, Scott mm. or Jeff or whatever the name was. It was just some some name like Steve. mine, like, like Mike, Steve, you know, yeah. whatever. And um, believe it or not, somebody responded. And so fast forward to nine or ten months later, and Andrew Brightman um, had somehow convinced Polydor uh, to get behind our record 
despite all of the things that we had done wrong along the way. So it took a little bit. Now, of had Brightman been had Brightman been one of the people that got that note? The yeah, the Steve note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think everybody else did what you'd expect, which is you know throw it away or it didn't get to Brightman. I think we were lucky that he didn't either a have an assistant or a desk or something, and somebody put it into his hand. Right. Um, or he was like taking the mail guy out for lunch who stuffed it into the, the cassette deck of his car. Um, but that's, that's the sort of the reader's digest version. Yeah. That's genius. It didn't and help then, that I actually did quit my job that one time and then had to like figure out stuff. Where were you working? I was finishing my secondary education student teaching at Glenbrook North high school. Uh-huh. And at spring break, I was like, see ya. So, <laughs> this is gonna be great i'm gonna be huge <laughs> and then here we are yeah well it says on all music that you guys recorded that's what love songs often do within three weeks of getting signed is that that true or is that just one of those bullshit stories no i'm pretty sure we, that's that's fairly accurate i think we were ready to go and um because polydor is a british company there was a little bit of hoo-ha about how it all played out. So I think when we actually did pen the deal, it it did sort of turn around relatively quickly. Three weeks Mm -hmm. may be an exaggeration, but it was pretty fast. Uh, And the people we wanted to work with were available really quickly. Um, I mean, I think when it was all said and done, we knew we were going to get signed in like August of 94, and we didn't actually get signed until December of that year for legal reasons and God knows what else, and then started recording in January. And and why did you work with the the people that you ended up working with, like Lou Giordano and and uh... with it was a lot of it was a very wild collection of people on that first record. We had, we had a drum tuner named Carl Plaster that was also from mm-hmm. Boston, like Lou. Um, Lou's real draw, I think, the, the way it was sold to to us at the time was just how good his stuff sounded, and that it was. <laughs> we now know to be a lie we felt like it was a timeless sound um where in that era there was a lot of reverb on drums a lot of space a lot of just racket and we were like let's go for something a little cleaner let's go for something more timeless Just wallow with me 
Well, I, I, I mean, we wound up, you know, mixing the record with Tom Lord Algae in L.A. So we started in New York at Dreamland in Woodstock to do Basics. Then we went down to Triclops in Atlanta to do Guitars and Overdubs because that's where the Pumpkins did Siamese Dream, I believe, or Gish, mm -hmm. one of the two records. And then we wound up working with Tom Lord Algae in whatever Culver City or whatever town he's in. Um, let's just call it LA. He didn't make you go to Miami? He did not. I don't think he was he was there yet. I don't think he had quite okay. um, earned enough golden that's what he, doubloons that's what he made for us that. Do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Enters through secret door at end of pub. Right, um, right. No, he would just drive that Acura NSX at a thousand miles an hour everywhere um, and make us follow him. And he'd like broadcast the mixes daily from his car and yell at um, whatever one of the Betancourt's cousins who was his, his uh, who was his engineer. It was pretty hilarious. And I just like show off with his SSL mixer. Look at this, whoop, 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 whoop. flying faders, right. man. A thousand cigarettes later. Best thing about that mixing was that he had uh, the Adams Family pinball in the uh in the lounge so got pretty good at that nice also the record so, I mean, sounds pretty good that record does i think that record sounds great yeah i mean i i don't know if it's i don't know if it's timeless, timeless or if it's not timeless you know i i mean uh, i don't know I, I think it sounds pretty great though it certainly made an impression on us yeah it's for me it sounds like a time um and, and that's maybe partially because it's part of my biography um, but I've, I feel and hear all of those influences uh, that we were listening to at the time. I feel and hear the influence of the people that put their hands on the record. Um, there's just a lot of it that stamps time and place for me. Now, were you like paying attention to what everybody was doing in the studio at that time? Were you getting into the idea of engineering or were you still just a member of the band? A little bit. I mean, it was a little difficult when, when we were working at the beginning with Lou and the engineers at Dreamland, it was a little bit easier to sort of feel feel what they were doing. But once we moved into mixing, I was like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. And we were more working from uh, mostly tape at that point. So everything was, was very analog, very uh, hands-on. Every single setup took 35 minutes to get going. It wasn't really until the second record that we started to fiddle around a little bit more with um, the digital side. And that's where mm -hmm. I was able to glom on a little bit and really figure out, wow, I could do some of this myself. And did you? Eventually, not as much uh, with Figdish. It was still a little bit uncertain. And the, the sort of entry cost at the time was pretty high. You were basically taking a massive analog mixing board and converting it to a tiny digital thing. So you already had to have the analog side of it. So again, that entry cost was pretty high. I, it really wasn't until um, we started fiddling around with with caviar that I got we were able to do it, and, and it was largely due to um, less 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 me and more that um, Digidesign came out with a cheap version that you could kind of plug right. away at. And then eventually, right. you know, you upgrade, you use your advance to buy better gear, and like I said before the show started, now I'm stuck with a 2010 Pro Tools rig that sounds great, but you can't do anything else with it. <laughs> So the record comes out, you guys are touring a lot. You guys were yeah. on a lot of tours. Yeah, and, and this is where the, the 
the blackouts come where I don't even remember all the tours we were on. I mean, many of them were with you, were with Triple Fast, with Rukasov, with the Letters to Clio, with Sponge, with Ned's Atomic Dustbin. It was all over the place. But I can't, it's very, very difficult to put time and place on a lot of them because a lot of it runs into each other. Yeah. I mean, however many times like West Kid was in our van or we were in theirs or you were in ours or somebody was somewhere and now you weren't even actually on the tour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of those pretty, pretty wild fun. Um, I mean, it was great. We, I, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it all does run into each other, especially that first record. Those couple of years just felt longer than they were. Like it just when you look back, it's like, wait, wait, all that happened in just like a couple of years. What the fuck? Yeah, that I mean, the, the very first tour, the, re, the first real we have a record coming out tour we did was that big, massive sponge Ned's uh, letters four pack that we were on. Mm -hmm. And it was five weeks and it seemed like it was 10 years. Um, like it was not that it was bad. It was just long. It was, and we were getting, you know, 25, 30 minute slots at the very beginning of that thing, playing for the, you know, the, the peanut vendors getting ready to sell. But I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun, but it really does seem like the longest tour I, ever, I was ever on. Yeah. I, was it? Maybe it was. No, that one. I, I, no, at some point there was longer tours. I just, I mean, the, the longest tours I've, I've been on is the tours I've been on with you, yeah. which are, you know, like this is still, sort of a still tour going. and it's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the beard tour was the longest one. That, that was incredible. And it was shameful for me because I, I think the only person who could grow less of a beard was, was Rick who had just a little sort of patchwork atlas of the archipelago of ness <laughs> no i think rick ended up winning because because you guys were saying i was shaving my beard and so the only person that nobody could prove hadn't <laughs> shaved at all was rick so he had this patchiest shittiest beard <laughs> of all of us but it was like <laughs> there's no way this guy shaved i mean look at that i mean it, yeah that's, i mean yeah so he's clearly hasn't seen a razor they're looking at me they're like scott you've you've been trimming that thing i'm like no i haven't and so yeah, all I mean, the money went to rick I, yeah i looked like napoleon dynamite's older brother i mean it was just <laughs> this blonde sad you know fort lauderdale 1984 spring break caterpillar living on my lip <laughs> and that was all that there was and it was blonde i mean I, it was the most vaguely pornographic thing that i've yeah. probably ever done and um although I, you know in standing next to blake who had that giant wilford brimley handlebar thing going like nobody well, bothered to look at me like i was never going to get arrested in whatever town we were in he shaved he couldn't take he it anymore he was like i look like i'm 80 i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> whose idea was it to do this beard tour it, you know you you had to go the longest without shaving and you we'd win. But whose idea was it? I I don't know. Who was your drummer on that tour? Do you remember? <laughs> it was Joe. Okay, Joe so didn't he, even try. I don't even he, Joe. I don't even think Joe put any money in. Like, no, he wouldn't have shit. I'm not doing this. <laughs> um, I would guess that it was it was probably it was probably me and me and Blake if I if I had to guess. Um, it could have been anybody. Oh, I had a magnificent beard on that tour, and I didn't get did. the money. Yeah, I mean, and think of all the like tinctures and creams and things that they have now at our disposal. I mean, we could have been elegant. 
we could look like <laughs> bands of horses out there or something. The labels or, or were not foxes. happy. The labels <laughs> were furious. And at least our label was. They were pretty furious with me. They're like, what is he doing? And I'm just kind of like, man, just your kids, you're not into it. Maybe it's before <laughs> your time, but your kids are going to love it. The beards are going to really be great. Yeah, I remember that tour going to like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And for most of our show, and there's many reasons for this, of course, but most people were like, just staring at us. And it was like, you guys are Amish. You all have beards. What's the deal? But uh, they were not having it. And there were label people, for at least for us at that show, who were like, that's enough of that. <laughs> You're welcome to stop that any time. <laughs> that, so. that per diem that you get for five bucks, it's going down to three, guy. <laughs> Fire razor. Yeah. So, so is it true Hamilton quit after you guys got into an accident in the snowstorm? Yes, snowstorm? That, that is true, now that I think about it. Um, the last... The last tour on that record cycle was with, was it Seaweed? No, it was with Seen? a huge, no, it was a huge band. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name of that band. Everclear? No. Ruth Ruth? Um, singer's name was Jeff. That's all I can remember. <laughs> Jeff Fisher? Jeff Hansen? I don't know. Um, I'll get to it. This. You uh, can remember uh, the singer's name and you can't remember the band's name. Starts with a C. Oh. Candlebox. Um, Candlebox. <laughs> <laughs> so. How do you forget that? The singer's not Jeff. <laughs> What's his name? What is the singer Candlebox's name? We'll look it's Jeff. Up. We're going with Jeff. I don't know. Anyway, we played a bunch of shows with those guys. It ended in either Utah or Denver. I don't remember which one. And, right. um, you know, we were van and trailering it. And it was December. And, uh, you know, it's that glorious long ride home. And when we got from, oh, I guess it was the Wyoming to the Nebraska border, the roads sort of changed a little bit and they were looking pretty slick. So we, we slowed down and sort of committed ourselves to getting off at whatever the next stop was. And then just got kind of brushed by a, a big 18 wheeler that zipped by us pretty quickly. And that pulled the trailer out on black ice. And then yeah. pulled us out sort of cockeyed. And then we rolled into the median and flipped over a couple of times, rolled, landed on our side. Uh, the trailer opened up like a giant tin taco, threw our gear all over the median. Um, Andy was in the back back uh, yeah. of this particular van, which had had one of those, like, it was a seat that turned into a futon or something. And so right. he got thrown all over the van. Uh, whacked his elbow pretty hard. Everybody's necks were all, all jacked up. I got frostbite on my feet. Um, and kind of that, that, that sort of sucked. Uh, where we wound up was in between Kimball and Sydney, which are two towns that nobody's ever heard of except for the residents of Kimball and Sydney. Mm -hmm. And um, it was on the west end of Nebraska. So even if we were to have flipped the van over and got into it, it's another... I don't know what 16 hours it's eight an eight hour drive across Nebraska and then eight hours to get there. I think from Chicago, if I remember right. Yeah. So it's, it's a long time, but we weren't able to do that. And there was no, no rental facilities. We ended up renting a, a, a U-Haul uh, the following morning with one of those mom's attics on top, throwing all our gear in the back that wasn't ruined. Right. And the, we, we, for about 50 miles, the four of us sat in the front together 
you know, packed in like sardines and everybody's pissed off at each other. So everybody's like, ah, you're leaving, get the turn signals, you know, like it, nothing worked. So Hamilton eventually was like, you know what? I'm going in the back. And so in he the back. went in the back, in the dark, in the Jesus. cold. I mean, it was December and it was terrifying and he ended up making it pretty far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's a stubborn guy. He's a stubborn guy. I think, I think only one or two of us, I, I know I spent at least an hour in the back, but not much more than that. Maybe Blake took a shift. Maybe Rick took a shift, but Andy spent the lion's share of the time back there. You know, and we considered like, well, we just get to, you know, get to Omaha and then rent a real car or whatever. And it was like, by the time you get to Omaha, you're already halfway home. Just let's keep going. Right. So after that, when we started talking about the second record, Hamilton was like, no, thank you. Hmm. And that was kind of the end of that. And then we had the, you know, the, the sort of revolving door of, uh, of drummers after that, the people that kind of came and went or, mm -hmm. or were left, um, right. <laughs> until, until we finally kind of had Brian Nolan for the, the bulk of that, that tour cycle. Right. I mean, didn't he kind of join almost pretty soon after the second record came out? Yeah, we had uh, we had recorded it mostly with Bill Swartz, right? Um, who didn't really want to continue, and he didn't want to really be in the band. He was a a, a college friend of Rick's. Uh, didn't want to really be in the band, and uh, certainly didn't want to go on tour. I think he had maybe just gotten married at the time, or was gonna get married, or had just started working in Blue Man Group. I don't remember what the math was, but it wasn't gonna work uh, for him. So we had we had already cycled through a drummer during our wood shitting period uh, for that second record a guy named Bill Leffler, who ended up being oh, right, Bill. maybe the weirdest dude ever. <laughs> um, and let's maybe just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cause I think he kept working and kind of found, found his happy place, but his happy place was not in a um, Lake Como um, sweat lodge with the three of us working on songs. Um, so Coma? yeah, it, it was just gonna be pretty weird cycle of folks and, and the first record production crew paul hager um lou giordano etc all got us brian um who was super awesome and willing and and quite fun and funny yeah so yeah he started up pretty much more or less right on that tour cycle right so gave us the great go ahead don't go ahead the, the whoopee cushion stuff yeah 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 the great gift of the whoopee cushion <laughs> which i mean it's so dumb yeah it's so dumb um i think it was i don't know if this was his idea i have no idea but we'd been driving all the way across the country we'd done a million different things and brian was subtly funny but never <laughs> like outrageously hilarious and certainly coming into a group of people who have known each other since we were 13 years old or whatever is difficult to get all of the nuance and nuance let's, let's just say that nuance, nuance. is a, is a <laughs> broad term meaning the, the details of our of our of our humor uh so brian had had laid pretty low for most of it you know making typical drummer jokes for much of it but i remember dr driving to like a, a toll in utah or nevada or somewhere and he had been sitting driving the van awkwardly for easily 90 minutes mm. And, and he looked uncomfortable, <laughs> deeply uncomfortable. Like he didn't like driving the van with a trailer behind it, whatever it was. I think it may have been his first long haul. 
because we were all just like, no, no, we got it, whatever. You don't, you just stay back there and do, you know, count, count right. to five and then kind of start over again, whatever. So finally, <laughs> he pulls up to the stool, rolls the window down, whoever it is he's about to give money to, and just relaxes and sits on a whoopee cushion. Yeah which had been he'd been hovering over for 90 minutes and just you know the giant whoopee cushion bronx cheer goes flying out and the woman at the toll booth was like <laughs> you know completely flabbergasted um and then we just drove off like you know he was like receipt please and we just drove off <laughs> and the three of us were completely stunned into silence i mean he Honestly, 90 minutes might have been not enough time. It may have been two hours that he'd just been hovering on top of this whoopee cushion uncomfortably. Just, I mean, just waiting for a great core workout. When um, is a fucking toll booth going to come? I know, right? <laughs> well, that was a tour that who, who had the idea that we all do a saltwater enema? Uh, it was, I think, unfortunately, my idea. That was your idea. When I you believe read so. about it in a men's magazine, and then you decided we should all do it. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you know, maybe this is a good way to kick off the tour. Let's all do the salt water cleanse. Yeah. Um, that was not not a great way to start the tour. I mean, it was, well, I guess. It was okay for me because I had my own room, but you guys were <laughs> just pounding on the door of my room trying to <laughs> get in. Let us in. You've got access to your own toilet. Yeah, it was it was it was not it was not healthy. It was not okay. And then, you know, the great joke, of course, is that immediately after we did it, you know, you starve yourself for 24 hours just drinking cayenne tea with lemon and water, and that's it. And then you drink the salt water, and of course, it's a unholy evacuation. Yeah. Um, immediately afterwards, we ordered like 37 pizzas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we drank like 600 beers. We're like, hey, wow. So, at what point are 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 you guys? Are you coming up with the idea for caviar during the end of Fig Dish, or was it like Fig Dish is over? Now what are we going to do? Yeah, I mean it was. <laughs> it was definitely like when we kind of realized it was over, and I don't exactly remember what that moment was, but I'm certain it had something to do with a phone call from somebody, and they were like, "Yeah, remember how you signed a deal for seven records like everybody did in 1995? Well, you're really right. just getting two because you've sold 900." Well, yeah, of course, we kind of knew that the end was near there. Um, the idea was really just this sort of, what else could we do? Or do we, I think Blake and I both felt like we hadn't given it maybe everything we had. We had demoed out some other songs that we were thinking about for Fig Dish, but they definitely seemed different. Um, I'm speaking specifically of like Sugarless, which uh -huh. we knew like that, that didn't exactly jive with what we had been doing. It would have been cool if, if Figdish moved that way, but what we were writing versus what Rick was writing were very, very, very different. <laughs>
down to it i don't think that first caviar record is that much different from what could have been the third fig dish record you know the songs are all really fucking solid but you know aside from tangerine speedo i think it's all kind of in your wheelhouse yeah i think it was it was definitely just a progression uh keep in mind that when you think about what fig dish was it's it's mostly rick and blake right working the, the two different songwriting angles except I was always like Blake's, we used to call it closer. You know, you look at a song like Nimble, for example, um, that the name of that song is pretty hilarious because what it means is new, improved Mike Blake line. Mm. So we would write a song and call it like Mike line or Blake line because we hadn't named it yet. And this one was new, improved Mike Blake line. So like I see Nimble as a progression into what sort of caviar became pretty quickly i was always pulling in a very small way to be a little bit more electronic just because that's kind of where my my heart comes from like you know i like the lush keyboards of architecture and morality by omd but that was never going to sound exactly right in in fig dish but as we began to move on it was right and it became kind of more obvious when we when it was just the two of us and i had um well, control over the <laughs> over the recording process to a certain extent, right? Um, control see, I, levers, right? No, it was it was for sure just an evolution. Blake was evolving in a, in a way. I was evolving in a way. Uh, we were enjoying, uh, you know. I think music was in a really weird place in like 1998 through 2001. A lot of people were experimenting, and whether it's um, it's blur going off the rails in one way or another, or um, 
oh, I don't know, just like the the way that sort of big beat found its way into our lives and whether it's the snippets of things like Fatboy Slim that you hear, we're like, well, that's that's kind of cool. And you may not love it or may not 100% influence you, but that was very much happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Lady Tron, right? That was a big band at that time. And that's something that we were thinking about. So there was just a lot of interesting sort of elements. And I will admit, we we for sure overdid it. We would over record and then try and strip stuff away to find out what we really liked. But I think both of us have the problem of putting too many things in, mm. you know, we very much needed the stage advice of Jeffrey Jones and Amadeus to take a few notes out. Okay. <laughs> well, no one's taking any advice from Jeffrey Jones. These no, days. no, 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 no. Well, you guys are getting into samples and, uh, and, and in the case of, Lou Reed, that did not pay off very well. No, that sort of didn't work. Um, <laughs> you know, whenever you hear a thing and you think, wow, I bet I could sample that, and you feel like, I also think I could probably get away with it. We were listening to Street Hassle in the car, and I was like, we can, how many records did this sell? You know, 51? You know, this is not this is not the definitive Lou Reed, and most people didn't even know the album existed. So we were listening to it, and I thought, well, let's just pull, let's pull the, the cello out. So she took the vinyl recording of it, split it uh, in my my old Roland sampler, left to right, and only used one side or the other, and then sometimes flip-flopped them, moved the sample around, and I was like, yeah, basically, yeah. basically totally changed this. <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this is an original composition. So we, whatever, we ended up using it. It became the, the blueprint of a, of a song called Clean Getaway. I thought it turned out great. I was really psyched with it. Um, the label liked it. Um, then uh, it wound up in the hands of somebody at a PR firm. They sold it to uh, Safeway for a supermarket commercial for a half a million dollars. <laughs> and um, then Lou Reed's people came sniffing around. Right. Um, actually, I think we, in, in fairness, I think our label was like, look, we gotta, we gotta run this by, yeah, legal. Gotta, this is it. a sample, yeah. you know, no like it, it's not gonna work. No. And we, you know, of course it was, it was already recorded and now it was sitting on the desk at some Safeway execs desk. and. Um, Lou Reed heard this, the words five hundred thousand dollars and was like, "Cool, yeah, you don't get any, none, none for you." Wow. <laughs> and we were like, "Huh, wow." <laughs> you know, we probably also just sold you another two hundred fifty thousand copies of Street Hassle, by the way. Yeah, or at least five. <laughs> five um, copies. Yeah, five copies. Yeah, we took every angle we could. We 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 tried from we tried appealing from um, some mutual friends that we had, and they were like. He's not having it. I'm like, could we split it? Like, this is this is this is money that would change our lives, and this is money that doesn't do anything to him. And now he's dead. You know, it didn't do anybody any good. Right. Him and Jeffrey Jones. Right. The two of them should have started a band. <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> the, the one sample that was was pretty awesome. What was the Tangerine Speedo sample? Mm-hmm. Because I had been at. I don't even remember what record store, but I'd been digging for just, I wanted to find the weirdest, dumbest, you know, untraceable thing in the history of all things. So I was buying like Royal Hawaiian, you know, songs from 1949, just anything I could find. And I came across the Los Bucaneros record uh, from whence the sample is torn. And it was, 
it was fabulous. I mean, it's a white, all white. It almost looks like it reminds me of, of Go to Heaven by The Grateful Dead, where it's just so not a thing. Like, you could put these two records right by each other, and you'd be like, same band, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so dressed in crazy, just insane bandolero outfits, totally done up but no backgrounds, saxophones, the whole thing. And I'm like, I got to know more. I need to know more. Listen to the whole album like 10 times. Finally found the, the little snippets that I really wanted with the uh, the instrumental thing at the beginning and then the uh, cha-cha-cha piece. And <laughs> Island Def Jam was so concerned about samples that, you know, because more because of the Def Jam side that they really, they, they found this guy. They yeah. found a guy somewhere who was like, yes, yes, I wrote that song. And I think we ended up paying him like, like $1,500 or something like that. But he was like, that's awesome. And so if you look at the songwriting credit credits, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but it's like Blake Smith, Mike Wilson, and this guy. putting these songs together and you don't have a drummer you're relying on just a he just an idea of a sample so i'll you know i ended up stealing you know the beatles or steely dan and just layering them in with other stuff right. eventually when you lay those down you know and think okay well, we're building the yeah. song in a studio and people are like you know that's <laughs> people have heard of the beatles yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's sergeant pepper <laughs> you may they want to think about doing something different there yeah so yeah. basically the same process that that you were using when we were doing Prairie Cartel was the same process that you were writing caviar stuff and demos with, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know this as well as as I do on Prairie Cartel. It was it was it was always about somebody bringing an idea in, right? And whether it was you with a riff or Blake with a riff or there was a sample that 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 was was the sort of nugget for the beginning, we just start layering stuff on it. You know, I think about um Oh, shoot, like songs like Nar Narcotic Insidious, right, where it's basically just a single idea that we sort of beat up, rehashed, threw around a little bit, and then started adding cool, bizarro samples to that either I'd been hanging on to or somebody was like, you know what we should put there? Right. Uh, um, but I love I love that confluence of kind of the, what the three of us did. Um, you know, there were so many neat tracks on that that ended up, I don't know, kind of doing more than we ever thought they would, right? Uh, Lost All Track of Time kind of came, Blake and I had this long, drawn-out 
idea where we're like, oh, it's got to, it's got to really come together some point at the end. And then you were like, you mean like this? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and there it was. So I loved how that worked out. And then of course we had to make you sing it because we couldn't do it. Well, I mean, there was a lot of, lot of throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. Like not, that's all that was. And like the lyrics of narcotic insidious, they were, that was the, the review pull quote sticker on, on the front of that Whitey record. Yeah. Like, Narcotic, <laughs> insidious, and buzzing with surprises. I was like, all right, we need some lyrics. And looking at that, that record, I'm like, yeah, all right, well, here, how about this review? Yeah, and I think, you know, there was also a, a very analog side to it, too, when we had Marsden in, in the fold, because that was such a long pro- process, right? It started with the, the remix, more or less, of Fuck Yeah, That Wide. Right. That sort of turned into what Prairie Cartel became. From there until when the record came out at the end of 2009, I mean, we had done a fair amount of just sort of analog jamming, right? Yeah. Where Marston's playing, I'm playing bass, you're playing guitar, we have some keyboard somewhere, maybe Blake's playing guitar. Um, so we're, there were certainly those songs that started that way. And I thought that was a neat approach too, especially with Marston playing an electric electronic kit, largely. Yeah, something he was never very comfortable with. He didn't like that. Yeah, drummers, yeah. I shit them. well what about the trip we took uh to england with prairie cartel it was just you me and blake and like what how did that happen (laughs) that that did not really go that well did it no um uh we were going there to meet an italian guy who was going to remix Mm-hmm. two of the songs jared leto yes it was jared leto i believe his name was manolo ah, does that, that check that rings out a bell. that rings a bell um yes. my name is manolo yeah and he was he was little and very nice and very thoughtful but somehow we had convinced um i don't even remember who did this what did wallace Wyndham Wallace have anything to do with this? I feel like there was an English connection that was yes, helping. Yes, Wyndham Wallace, I remember that name too, yeah. And then he never spoke to us again, but he helped <laughs> us get a couple of gigs. Uh, uh, one in London, one in like Nottingham, and then maybe there was a third. There then, was. Oh, in that, uh, The third one was the best one because that was the one where there was nobody there. And, and there was a couple of guys sitting, talking, and Blake was running around singing a song and, and like he started like trying to start a, a riot in a room with two people in it. And one guy looks up at him and he's like singing over the guy and the guy gets up, grabs Blake by the throat and just like puts him up against the wall. And we're like, no, 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 you, no, you don't want to do this. Don't, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, and, and to make it worse, if I recall, um, it was ostensibly because we couldn't figure out how to do anything over there with the gear that we had. It was basically like karaoke. Right. Except you brought your pedal board. Right. Right. And we like hit play on a CD of like six songs mixed together. And then we'd like do the pedals and like sit there with headphones right. um, or something. So I'm, I'm singing through the GT5 yeah. guitar pedal board. Yeah. Which worked really well once, if you recall, but not so great on our trip to England. Um, no. That trip was also punctuated by you two guys going early, me showing up like later, and nobody answering their phone for hours, which was great. And then I got, I got searched everywhere I went. 
because I had like a guitar with me. Tom, maybe did I bring a bass? That doesn't make any sense. I I just remember getting searched all the time, like leaving the country, entering the country. You probably brought that that drum pad. Oh so yeah, that might like be the, it. The drum breakdowns of like yeah stuff. Pretty sexy. Wide. Pretty sexy. Or no, the drum breakdown in uh, Keep Everybody Warm. Yes. <laughs> Straight out of the Casio. So right. good. So right. good. That winter music conference, though, we, we lit the place up with our with our karaoke uh, expressions of the Perry Cartel, if you recall. Oh, dude, I thought we were going to be stars. I thought we were going to be like techno stars after that thing. It's incredible. Destroyed the place. And it's you probably because amazing. we... Like we are, yeah. aren't we? Remember when they offered us a second gig with DJ Hell right after we finished that one? Yeah. And then that second one was not good. No, no, we were like, no, no we're not going to be stars, are we? <laughs> DJ Hell was not nice. What you got to do is keep the sound together, keep everybody warm, keep everybody warm. And what you got to do is keep the sound together, keep everybody warm, keep everybody warm. And what you got to do is keep the sound
So at what point during all this are you becoming a wine guy, a wine sommelier, a, a, a wine uh, rain man? Uh, at the beginning, actually, um, in that era where I mentioned I quit my job kind of a bit prematurely, uh, you kind of had to figure out a way to pay the bills in the meantime uh, without finishing the degree I'd set my mind to. So started working the, the same way that so many other people had to, right? I had to, I student loaned myself to death. And um, mm-hmm. if you don't go into teaching, then by the way, they make you pay them back right away, uh, which right. was a bit challenging. So started working in restaurants, started working in bars. I mean, I had the coveted Monday night slot at Liars Club, if you recall, with Sean Rice. It was great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, really, we, we, we leave that with $40 each and go spend it um, immediately somewhere else. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Immediately. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, God, I, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was, I was working at a four o'clock and I was just sitting there like, Oh my God, this, this sucks. Uh, it's truly sucks. And a friend of mine who had been working that night at a fine dining restaurant was sitting at the bar and he's like, Oh my God, this sucks. I was like, what's your problem? You're off work. I'm just starting. He's like, oh, I'm fucking Valentine's Day weekend coming up, and I got it going out of town. I don't have anyone to work for me. I was like, dude, I live around the corner from there. What's what, what's so hard? I'm I'm a bartender. I can do this. And he's like, yeah, it's 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 not really just it's not that. It's it's just there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. I was like, well, look, here's my number. If you're desperate tomorrow, give me a call. So needless to say, phone rings. Uh, pretty nice restaurant around the corner from me. He's like, we need you here. We just need more bodies. Started at four, ended at 10, made 340 bucks. Didn't work very hard. And I was like, I am not leaving. <laughs> and where was this at? This is, at, it was uh, at Meritage in Bucktown. Meritage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so I like got up early, went to the bookstore, bought a couple of wine books, studied the menu, came back the next night, which I had to do because I had three nights on. And was like, yes, I'm not, I'm just not leaving here. Um, so it was just about, you know, accumulating knowledge. And then, uh, eventually during my breaks, uh, finished a master's degree in teaching, which I still haven't really used, but it allowed me to go work at the Le Cordon Bleu as an instructor. Uh, Ooh. Ooh, fancy. Fancy. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, eventually all of that brought me to Oregon where I live now working in the Oregon wine industry. So it was kind of a, it's weird because it, it was, it was a side job for a while. And for those of us who aren't as lucky as, as, as you or others, you know, uh, a side job of a side job. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> so I finally got my first like real full-time job when I was like, what, 34 years old. Well, I mean, but how did you get the nose? I mean, cause I, like we can be anywhere and you'll, you know, you'll smell a wine. You're like, this is from here. This is from there. I'm like, what the fuck? I think That's like anything else, blowing. I think like anything else, just practice. Thank you though. It's just practice. You know, like you can hear a record and be like, yeah, that's, that's Tom Lord algae or that's, you know, whoever, whatever producer, uh, that's RTB. Like I would know it anywhere and you would, right. Uh, in fact, most of us would, because we've been living with these songs, like the difference between a Ted Templeman record and, and somebody else, you, you know what it sounds like. Mm. Um, and for me, I was lucky enough that my nose and, and mouth work in such a way that my brain remembers. And um, I can kind of hear the influences um, of the places that they're from 
as they affect the way I smell and taste the Hell. stuff. I, yeah, it's weird, right? I don't know. I, I, I it's, it's it's study, but it's also practice. And I'll be happy to announce that I, I had to drink a lot to figure it out. I mean, do you guys get it? Do you, do you get it, Ben? Have you ever seen people do this shit? I, I, no, I mean, yes, on TV. But I, uh, <laughs> did, did you lose your sense of smell and taste when you got COVID? I did not. Hmm. Which uh, was pretty weird. I didn't have it terribly bad. I think Scott had it worse than I did. I actually think uh, other people in, uh, I think I think Katie had it worse than me. There's a lot of people who had it worse than me. Uh, I got pretty lucky. And then one of our friends who was in the car with us that they didn't get it at all, which was mm. insane. We were packed in my car for what four hours driving to Hood River, and everybody got it except one guy. Right. So I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But no, my, my sense of smell uh, stayed for the most part. I think what I have, and I think so many people have, it is kind of my memory isn't very good anymore. Um, that's the long-term effect. It could just be that I'm old, but like I for sure noticed a, a thing where I'm cognitively different all of a sudden. Huh. So thanks, God. <sighs> <laughs> And I still feel bad about it. I mean, it I don't think you should. Up. I am, and you're like, dude, you got the COVID. And I go, I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. And then I started throwing up left and right, and we're, and we're like, well, that's not COVID. What'd you eat today? I was like, shrimp. He's like, oh, you've got food poisoning. Clearly, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I've got food poisoning. Nope. My favorite moment was uh, selfishly, we're you know we're on stage at the Hawthorne, and. All of a sudden, I'm standing right next to you, and I look over at you, and you look over at me, and we're both like, oh, basically shared a microphone, you know, right. <laughs> in the middle of a concert. And we were just like, well, we don't have it now. <laughs> we're superheroes. <laughs> I'm looking at a YouTube video that says Fig Dish Onanism 2000 Demo. Yeah, and you'll see uh, probably some caviar songs on there. I think sugarless is on there. Um, I don't exactly remember. It was a, it was a demo we did with Gerber. It was a lot of songs. Like there's 18 songs on there. I think maybe, is that right? Oh uh, no. This was the demo we did in between the two records. Was it? This has the demo version of shirts get tight on it. Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm, it's, oh, it doesn't have a list. I, there's a listing. Uh... I've got that cassette between the first two records. There's it a had a lot of things on it. No, it's lot. got when shirts gets tight on there as a demo yeah. version. Okay, so yeah, that was the that was the in between records demo that we did at, at Gerber's place when he was in the old spot um, near Rogers Park, and um, it wound up getting circulated around a little bit, and then my buddy Dave Cobb. There's two different Dave Cobbs in our in our universe, but Dave Cobb, Texas Dave Cobb, started like a little fan website and posted it up there for a little while. I, I think you can still get it. It's a single stream on down or on uh, YouTube, and it takes ten years to download it. That's what he's looking at, right? That's I think so. Looking at yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's you can download it from from YouTube, but uh, I, I never seen this before. I'm like, what what the heck is this? Yeah, I got that it's, on a Maxell. Oh yeah. XM90, maybe a 120. Yeah, it's on a 90. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was probably a 120. Yeah, there were some cool songs on there. Uh, you know, Andy did a, a, a really great job on a number of them. Uh, the, you know, we we actually had the problem on the second Fig Dish record with Demoitis on When Shirts Get Tight. 
where the label liked the demo more than they liked the finished product. They, they were like, you can never get the feel and swing right. You know, eventually you're like, this this is what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just shambolic, and I think they just liked the way that it felt. And uh, we weren't able to reproduce that in a high-tech studio. Mm. I have to listen to that. It's been a long time. Yeah, I don't have a tape deck, so I, you know, I guess I have YouTube, though. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that deep of a dive. So you're still doing stuff left and right, merit badge. is like, I mean, you've got, like, how many singles and EPs and records? There's, like, eight of them down there. <laughs> Yeah, merit badge is, is is slow for me. I mean, it's it's a one man show, and I'm no Todd Rundgren, so you know I I try to spit out some songs every once in a while when I can. Uh, we're lucky these days in the digital world that if you have one or two, you can get them up on Spotify or whatever streaming music service you enjoy. So I've been doing that uh, since I think 2012, and again, it's just a sort of one man project, which. Um, of course exposes all of the limitations of, of what you do. Um, it, but, I mean, it started off. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even really songs. Yeah, no, that's true. It was just ideas. Um, you know, like little pro tools files. And I was like, well, I wonder if I should do some of this, send it to Blake or something. And most of the time they just wound up kind of, you know, dying. Um, the separation, the time and space, right? You know, I'm 2,000 miles away. It's not easy to, to collaborate, or it wasn't uh, in 2010 uh, or 2012. It's much, much easier now, of course, to, to collaborate on recordings in the way that everybody's so used to. But I just kind of figured it out for myself at a point. Some of the songs I had shopped as as ideas to other people I just said, hey, can you make anything of this? I don't know what to do with it. And eventually I just lived with them long enough that I said, all right, I know what to do. Or I know what I think I should do more than anything else. Yeah. So you don't stop. You can't stop. Why? No, I mean, if you if we could uh, look at my computer, there's probably 40 nuggets, uh, some of which are better than others, but other of them will wind up in the in the dump. Some of them I'll finish one of these days, I hope. Yeah. And my fan or, or two, the three or four people that listen to that stuff will uh, they'll be thrilled, just thrilled. <laughs> my same my same college roommate, David, will be psyched. Hi, David. Hi, David. Sit by the water's edge 
So oh. 